always interesting to me, just little ways when I'll, when I'll stop and watch for it, where God just kind of gives me these little winks, these little nods, little ways that I, I see him at work. And, um, you know, I wish I was smart enough to plan this, but last Sunday was our, our traditional sacrament Sunday service where we partake in communion and we taught on Jesus being the bread of life. And I, I didn't strategically plan that. I kind of stumbled into that. And that was just sort of encouraging to me. And so this week, um, I do something I rarely do anymore. I'm, I'm an Amazon guy. Like, I'm just, you know, click the button. It shows up at my house. Super easy. And I, I forgot to plan ahead and order this book that I needed to get. And so it was like day of, I needed this book. And I thought, I'm going to have to, like, actually go to a bookstore and walk around and find it and go up to the register and pay. And so I went to a local Christian bookstore, rarely do this. I go in, I go up to the register, they put the book in the bag, and I get the bag, and their pre-printed bags had this verse, John 8, 12. I am the light of the world, was on the bag. And I just thought, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that. It was such an encouraging thing to my heart. So I don't know, you guys may believe in coincidences. I do not. I believe God is in all the details. It's not the devil that's in the details. Our Lord is in the details. He's in the details. And I'm thankful for that. So with that being said, um, let's start by just reading this, this primary verse, this statement that Jesus made about who he is this morning. And then we're going to kind of work our way through the Gospel of John and seeing a few different places that unpack this idea of Jesus being the light of the world. So here we go. John 8, 12. I guess just to give you some context, this is coming right off the heels of the woman that was caught in adultery that was brought before him. And there was that whole interaction where Jesus says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Right on the heels of that, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Was that real to anybody this morning getting in their car when it was super foggy? Did any of you guys get out early enough where it was like crazy foggy this morning? You begin to realize the importance of light and clarity, of being able to see. I mean, at one point, there was like two or three cars in front of me, which is kind of rare early on a Sunday morning. But there, like the fourth car, I couldn't see them. We, we finally did like a curve and I could kind of tell they were up there. But it was, it was crazy how just a very short distance in front of me, I couldn't see anymore the light of the world. And he's, there's a promise. He's not just making a statement, I'm like a light bulb. He, he's saying, listen to what I'm offering you. If you will walk in my light, if you will receive my light, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. How many parents of young children do we have in the room this morning? Can I just see a show of hands? Okay, awesome. We got several. Savannah, that's worth clapping. Go for it, Savannah. Give them a... Our college students supporting the parents this morning. You just know what's coming one day, Savannah. Like, way to, way to cheer everybody on. All right. <laughs> you didn't expect to be put on the spot, did you? I've been putting Savannah on the spot since she was in what, like ninth grade? Savannah was in youth group back in the days at Grace Chapel. So um, if, if you are a parent with kids, um, you know about the phenomena where the single most dangerous item on the entire planet is a Lego in the carpet that you didn't know was there. Anybody had one of those experiences? I think that's my version of Paul's thorn in the flesh. I just step on a Lego about once a week. And, and the worst is if you're up in the middle of the night, stumbling around trying to get to something, and you step on one of those toys. I mean, it is just, 
It shocks you. You were unprepared for it. You know, I don't know how quickly you're getting your hand over your mouth to keep certain things from coming out of your mouth that maybe you'd regret saying. Um, but listen, like, I, I joke about that, but the reality is stumbling around in the dark is miserable. It's dangerous. It's harmful for us and for others. Being in the dark is dangerous. Jesus is, is telling us something by making the statement, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. What does that tell me is happening in my life if I'm not following him? We are walking in darkness. In fact, we live in a world of darkness. We're walking around other people all the time that are stumbling in the dark. And yet Jesus offers hope. He offers hope. So we're going to look at a few passages in the Gospel of John this morning. We will eventually get to um, the, the letter to the church of Thyatira in the book of Revelation near the end of the message. But we're going to spend some time here in John's Gospel before we get there. So we're going to start right at the beginning of John's Gospel. In John chapter 1, there's a whole chunk of Scripture in verses 1 through 10. We're going to read a few of the verses in there. This is, this is basically John's version of the creation story. You know, the other Gospels, a couple of them, open with the birth of Jesus. John says, let me tell you about Jesus. I'm going to go all the way back to the very beginning. And in one brief introduction to his Gospel, he introduces us not only to Jesus, the creator of the world, but to Jesus who's arriving on the scene to redeem the world. And so here in John chapter 1, verse 1, he begins and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus there. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is Creator. Verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was what? The light of men. One more time. The life was what? The light, the light of men. The life that he offers is light for mankind. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is talking about Jesus. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. Now, John is intentionally getting us to think about Genesis. He's intentionally bringing our minds back to the way things started when God created. And so we're going to go back there for just a moment together. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it begins, I mean, the first three words are exactly the same, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How many of you guys could just repeat this with me without even looking at the screen, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What was the condition? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. Did he say, let there be life? Did he say, let there be some trees? Let there be some animals? What's the first thing he had to speak into existence? Light. light. God said, let there be light. And guess what happened? There was light. When God says it, it's so. Let there be light. There was light. Verse 4. And God saw that the light was 
decent, mediocre. It was good. It was good. The light that he created for us is good. It's for our benefit. And God separated the light from the darkness. There's a few things I just want to highlight here briefly. First of all, we already kind of said this, but the first act of creation is light. Light is a prerequisite for life. It's a necessary component. I, I, I don't feel like I need to say this, but I just I want to highlight a few things. Light is important because not only does it make life possible, it, it comforts. It brings, it brings warmth. It brings heat. I mean, it's been so fun this time of year, waking up in the morning, and I'm, I'm spoiled. I've got one of those fireplaces that you just flip the switch. And it's just, it's so fun just coming in first thing in the morning. It's still a little cool on the, on the floor, walking around in my bare feet, and just flip that switch and get the warmth of the light that comes from the fire. Light brings clarity. It brings sight. It brings vision. It warms us. It gives us light. It helps us to see. One of the things that I think is interesting to note here is that God does not create the sun, moon, and stars on the same day that he creates light. That doesn't happen till day four. That means that there is a light. Listen, I hope you catch this. There is a light that sustains life apart from the sun, moon, and stars. There is a light that is preeminent above those lights. In fact, if we were to stop at this first page of our Bible and turn very near the back, and at the very end of the letter to uh, the, the book of Revelation, the Bible tells us there's no more sun and moon and stars in the city of God. In fact, it says that Jesus is the bright and morning star. He is the light. And guess what? There's no more nighttime. Darkness is gone. God himself is the preeminent, pre-existing light that sustains life. And I just have to say right from the outset, if we try to live without him, we're lost. We're in darkness. We're separated from life and from light. If there's warmth in the light, then what do I have apart from it? Cold. You ever felt like cold and clammy and just, oh, it's disgusting. It's like the worst feeling. It's miserable. I'm cold. I'm not alive. I can't see clearly. We were made to be in the light. God said it was good. And then finally, I just want to point out something we were, we were praying a minute ago at the start of the service. I, I find it interesting that God made the world and there was this, this interlude. There's this period of time where things weren't clear. There was some chaos. There was some darkness. It was, it was formless. It was void. It just, it, there was this, this great unknown, this mystery. And God's spirit, it says, was hovering over the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. And the light shone in that darkness. Now, John is connecting the condition of the world at the beginning of creation with the condition of humankind when Jesus shows up on the scene. You know what that tells me? He references it. We are in darkness apart from Jesus. The world was lost in sin and error pining as, as the famous song goes. We were in darkness 
And I believe many, most of the folks on this planet are still in that condition. Lost, alone, dark, looking for a path forward, looking for a way to go. And the Holy Spirit still hovers. The Holy Spirit still hovers over the hearts of man. And he's waiting to spring into action and bring light into the dark. God has given us the opportunity to say, yes, I want that. Yes, I want that light. That's what is available to us. So Jesus shows up, so it must have been all good news going forward then, right? The light came into the dark. The dark, you know, light is good. So the world was going to be ecstatic and excited to receive him. No, John ended that passage saying, and the world didn't know him. And so if we move a little further into John's gospel, we get to John chapter 3. We have the, the famous passage where Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus, a teacher of the law. Anybody want to guess what time of day Nicodemus showed up to talk to Jesus? Nighttime. He was nervous. He was scared about being seen with him. And so Nicodemus comes to him quietly at night, and he has this conversation, and we're all very familiar. There's the conversation about you must be born again, and Nicodemus is confused. How do I get back in my mom's womb again? Again, Jesus is using this same imagery. The original physical creation your original physical birth points to something spiritual now. Spiritually, you need to be reborn. And in talking to Nicodemus, we come across a passage of scripture that's incredibly famous, the most famous scripture in all, of, in all the world. Everybody knows it, right? John 3, 16. How many of you guys could quote that with confidence right now if I put you on the spot? All right? People are nervous because I already put Savannah on the spot. They're like, I don't know if I want to raise my hand to that. All right? John 3, 16. And he, he unpacks this incredible offer that's available to the whole world. God loves the world. He's crazy about the world. He can't wait to shine light into the darkness to help mankind. That's God's heart. Jesus continues talking after John 3.16. And we get down to verse 19, and he says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus is being direct and honest with us but he's also giving an invitation. He's saying, listen, you're scared. You're scared. I'm scared. You're, we are scared of stepping out of the dark into the light because what? We're going to be exposed. This is why Adam and Eve at the fall immediately ran and hid. They were afraid of being exposed. And God wants us to know the light is good for you. It's good for you. When you step into the light, you're forgiven. You're set free. You're made whole. Jesus wants us to hear this. I already see you anyways. I see anyway. And my message to you is, I love you. I receive you. I accept you. I want to pour my life and my forgiveness, my mercy onto your life. You don't have to be afraid of the light. Step into it. 
and you can experience freedom. But so often we don't do that. So often we live in fear, afraid of being exposed. And so we, we settle for a life of, of guilt and shame and trying to measure up and just trying to put on a, a good front to be accepted in this world and maybe be okay with God. But Jesus offers something more. He offers freedom in the light. So if we move along a little further, we go past John chapter eight, where we were just reading about Jesus being the light of the world. And the very next chapter, John chapter nine, we get a physical representation in the form of a man who'd been blind from birth. And here's this man who'd been born blind. And of course, it's just another example of the Pharisees looking to trap Jesus, um, trying to use a person in need to make a point to make a point. And so they say, whose fault is this? This guy has been born blind. Did his parents sin or did he? Jesus said, neither. God wants to show off and do something miraculous. This man's story is our story. We are born blind. And so Jesus speaks up and he says in John chapter nine, verse five, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went away and washed and he came back seeing. Why does Jesus rub mud in his eyes? I'm kind of just half tempted to just not answer that question. Because I think it's something we need to ponder ourselves. He's blind. His, his condition is that he cannot see. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I want to help you recover your sight. So why does he rub mud in his eyes? Because almost all of us are blind to the fact that we're blind. We have to be willing to be confronted with the reality that I've got mud in my eyes. I've got the dirt, the grime, the crumminess of this world. It's all I can see. I live in it. I'm surrounded by it. Not just my own, but all that's around me. Do you guys ever just feel overwhelmed by what's going on around you? I mean, I change my mind almost daily whether I should read the news or not. On one hand, I feel like I need to be informed and understand what's going on and, and hopefully use that as ammunition to pray. But all too often, I just, I read it and I'm depressed. It's so discouraging what's happening in our world. We're surrounded by darkness. But in order to bring light, in order to heal blind people, Jesus will allow us to come face to face with the reality of our sin, of our junk, of our separation with him. I mean, there's actually a phrase, there's mud in your eye. That's, what a weird phrase. I don't know if it came from this or not, but Jesus would say to us this morning, here's some mud in your eye. <laughs> He'll actually do us the favor of allowing us to see how lost we are. Because even for a blind man, think about this for a minute. Could the blind man see the mud in his eyes? No, but he could feel it. 
He could feel the grimy, gritty, nasty, slimy, and he's like, oh, oh. And he goes and he washes and he sees. Why does Jesus rub mud in our eyes? So that the blind can see that they're blind and then the light can shine and we can be healed. The final passage I wanna look at in John's gospel this morning in a lot of ways, it's, it's really the last message that Jesus preaches. It's at the very end of John's Gospel, chapter 12. And from, from this point forward, when you, when you turn through your page and get to John 13, from that point forward, Jesus is heading to the cross. It's that kind of chunk of time that we would call the passion of, of Jesus, where he's spending time with his disciples, and then there's the Last Supper, and then Gethsemane, and on. And so this is kind of this last public moment where there's some communication going on. And what does Jesus choose to say? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a couple verses. I'm going to explain a few more, and we're going to move on. But I would encourage you on your own to maybe read John chapter 12, verses 35 through the end of the chapter, through verse 50. And just imagine Jesus is speaking directly to us. But let's get a flavor of this. John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. So Jesus is speaking to all these people. He said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Legos abound. Verse 36. That wasn't in there. I just... Sorry, I have a weird sense of humor. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. We can become kids of the light, sons and daughters of the king, where the light lives in us and emanates out of us and we can see clearly. You can almost hear Jesus is is like pleading with them at this point. Listen, you just have a few more moments with me. You're getting a glimpse of what God has to offer you. You're getting a glimpse of the light. Will you believe? Will you step out of the darkness and into the light that I offer? And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And then verses 37 down through 44, here's some of the things that John begins to explain to us that are happening. He says, first of all, most people don't believe in him. All these people, they watched him walk the earth. I've often thought in my head, I've assumed it would be a lot easier if Jesus was physically here. If I could meet him at Starbucks and catch up on life, how much easier it would be. And yet most people that were around him that saw him walking this earth didn't believe. But the passage explains something even sadder. The next few verses say that many did believe in him Even among the authority figures, guys like Nicodemus, many did believe in him, but for fear of losing their place and their position, they wouldn't confess their belief. And John says the reason why is they love the glory that came from men more than the glory that comes from God. It was easier to just blend in with the rest of society and to to achieve acceptance, purpose, your sense of value, your place from other people than it was to maybe step out on a limb and be one of the crazy people that would be willing to accept the light Jesus offered. 
And he said the reason why is they were more concerned with the glory that came from men than the glory that came from God. I just think it's time for us to start being way more concerned about what God thinks than about what the world around us thinks. And if I could tack something on there, that we would start being more concerned about what God thinks than what I think. We live in such an individualized culture. I don't even think a lot of us are that worried about what people around us think. But we're super consumed with what we think and what we want to do. But am I willing to hear, to humble myself and say, God, what do you think? What do you see? What are you trying to say? And let him speak light into darkness instead of assuming I see really clearly. I, I, I'm guilty of this. I look at things happening in our world around us and I just assume I'm looking at it from a place where I'm removed enough that I have some clarity. And I begin to make judgments about why things are happening the way they're happening, what could be done to fix them. I mean, I've had multiple conversations with my friends and afterwards we're almost laughing like, hey, we just solved all the world's problems. That worked out pretty good. I assume I've got this place of clarity. And yet, I'm stumbling around in the dark. I can't get out of my own way half the time. If we would acknowledge God and acknowledge that he has something to say, he has something to offer, that he wants to shine light into the darkness, I wonder how things might change in our world. And so finally, this passage ends with, with a little invitation. John 12, I'm going to just read verses 44 through 46. And Jesus cried out. He cried out. And he said, whoever believes in me Believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Truly, the Spirit of God does hover, longing to speak light into darkness. This is the condition of the world that we're in. This is the condition of the people that we spend our time around. Now, for many of you this morning, you might be listening to this and going, man, Jake, this is great. Thank you. Um, I feel like I'm just kind of nodding in agreement. Like, I know he's the light. I've said yes to him. I'm following him. I've, I've given him my life. I, I just have to say to you, there's a reason that Jesus appeared to John, the same guy that wrote all these things about him, that, that kind of journaled his life for us, there's a reason Jesus showed up to John in John's later years while he's imprisoned on the island of Patmos, nearing his death. He's an old man. That Jesus appears to him in a vision and says, I've got some things to say to my church. Because my people, who have been invited into the light, who are sons and daughters of the light, are still walking in some darkness. And so we're going to look in just a moment together in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 18. Before we jump into this, I want to do something we've been doing throughout this series. I want to give you a little bit of a sense of the town that, where, that these people lived in that Jesus was writing to. And so this letter was to the church at Thyatira. Do we have that map, Jacob? Awesome. Okay, so if y'all can track with me here, John is here on the island of Patmos. Can y'all see that from where you're sitting? Okay, and he wrote seven letters and they kind, of, they kind of went out probably in a circuit and each church was supposed to read all seven letters, the one to them and the one to the other six. 
And now we're supposed to continue reading them as his church. And so they traveled up. The first letter was written to Ephesus. We covered that a few weeks back. Then Smyrna a couple weeks ago. And then last week was Pergamum, kind of going up the coastline there. And now we're going to head down to Thyatira and start working our way down, landing in Laodicea. Y'all tracking with me? So this is our first non-coastal town. So we get to Thyatira, and what can be said about them is that they're in between Sardis and Pergamum. They are the smallest city of all these seven cities. They also got the biggest letter. They got the biggest letter. Though small in size, Jesus considered them significant. I think there's maybe something in there for us. When we're surrounded by a world that's dark, we can feel really small and insignificant. I can feel like my light doesn't actually shine that bright. Does it, does it really make that big of a difference? Can I really make that big of an impact in the kingdom? And just by the very size, God is saying to us, even when you feel small and insignificant, you matter a lot to me. I have a lot that I would say to you. You're important. You can make a difference. You can make an impact. And so this letter is written. So they're in between these two towns. They basically were on a road, and it's not even a main trade, trade route. Okay, this isn't like one of the big Roman trade routes. They were just sort of a stop-off point between Pergamum and Sardis. The thing they did have going for them, they were a little bit of a military town, military outpost, really. Um, and they had a lot of trade guilds there. And so one of the things you may, you may remember um, is this lady named Lydia that shows up in the book of Acts. And it says that she was a seller of purple cloths. Okay, she was from Thyatira. If you go back and look at Acts chapter 16, verse 14, it tells us that's her hometown. So she was in another, another city where Paul and Silas were, and they come preaching, and she accepts the message of Jesus Christ and begins to follow him. But she's from Thyatira. She takes you know, clothes, blankets, whatever. And they were kind of known to be a place that had these really rich dyes. They made these really beautiful, bright colors. The scripture will say purple. And what that really means is some deep, rich reds is the, is the picture there. And so they're, they're kind of known for this. So there's, there's some, some trade that happens there, but they've got to travel to other towns to make any money and sell it. What's interesting is the principal deity of this city. You know, we've kind of seen this along the way. Different towns sort of had maybe a go-to Greek or Roman god that they worshipped. The, the principal deity of this city was a variation on Apollo. It was Tyremnus. He was the sun god. Now, if you're catching this, but Jesus, the light of the world who's going to present himself as the morning star in this letter to them, is speaking to the people who are in a town where the sun god is worshipped. That thing that's presenting itself as bringing light? Yeah, it's not. It's lying to you. And it's keeping you in the dark. And it's blinding you. I'm the true light. Look to me. You got the picture? This is who Jesus is talking to here. So, jumping into this passage, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works. Look at this. There's some encouragement. I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, 
and that your latter works exceed the first. Now, there's some bad news coming, but we need to stop and reflect like this. Though it's a small church in a small community, there's some legit stuff going on in this church, man. They love. They've received God's love, and they love. They have faith. These people serve. They work hard. They're serving, and they, they endure. Like, things are tough in this town. It's dark. It's difficult, but they have a patient endurance. They're hanging in there. And what's encouraging about them, if, if you were to almost um, view this as a, as a comparison, you know, the church at Ephesus, they were told, you need to go back to your first works. You've lost your first love. These guys are told the opposite. Your latter works have exceeded your first works. These guys are growing. They're growing in their walk with Jesus. They're growing steadily in their faith. They're maturing. There's, there's a lot of good here. This is important to say because this particular church, it, they, they had a lot of people that were struggling. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that, there were very faithful people who loved God, who endured the difficult times. And, and I just have to tell you, as we begin to unpack this a little bit, I, I'm not saying prophetically this is a reflection of America. I'm just saying, in reality, the American church can relate to this in a lot of ways, I believe. The American church has compromised in a lot of ways. But I do believe that God is calling us as individuals to hold fast, to remain faithful, to receive his love, to serve him, and to hold on even in the midst of enduring really difficult things that we're surrounded by, even in the church. I don't know if this is real to you or not, but it's people are leaving the church because they're discouraged by some of what they're seeing. We need to hold on and be a light in the darkness. And so now he's going to call them out, a portion of them out for some specific things that are going on. Verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. This is similar to some things that were going on in Pergamum. But there's a stronger warning happening here with Thyatira. It's like, it's more accepted. It's more normal. Not only are people doing this, he says, the problem I have with you is you're tolerating it. It's not just that some people are doing it. You're allowing it to happen. I think I'm in verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. It's important to point this out. Jesus will bring judgment, but he gives a lot of opportunity. He gives, he gives mercy for a long time, inviting us to repent. And he started with the leadership. This, this picture of this woman Jezebel that calls herself a prophetess, the, this is people in leadership at the church are promoting and okaying a compromised lifestyle. It's okay for us to blend in with the community that we're in. I know it's dark here, we're at risk if we stand out too much in contrast to the world we're living in. And so we're going to join in their feasts that aren't okay. And we're going to okay, we're going to lower our standards of sexual purity to match the culture of the day. This is being taught by leadership. And the leaders were given opportunity to repent, and they refuse. Verse 22. 
Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation until they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the church will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. The key issue here is that the church was tolerating darkness when there should only be light. Jesus is not talking about the lost people of the city who are still caught up in the darkness of their culture. He's not throwing judgment on them. He's talking to the leadership of the people who are supposed to be of the light. They're the ones who've been set free, supposedly. They've been forgiven of their, their, their sin and their guilt. They've stepped into the life that Jesus offers. They're no longer walking in the dark, and they're meant to be a beacon of hope to a lost city. And Jesus is saying they are refusing to acknowledge that what they're doing is wrong, and they are leading people astray. I mean, when he says her children will die, I just have to tell you, a church that is compromising will only give birth. You're only going to reproduce what you are. Darkness equals death. You can't produce life from death. And so that's the position that they were in. No wonder the church is dying in America. Dead churches are trying to produce life, and it's fake. It's phony. We're not offering people real freedom and real hope. Listen, the gospel of Jesus is great news. He's forgiven us. There is mercy. There is grace. We can be forgiven of our guilt, our shame, of the consequences of our sin. But listen, the thing he's forgiving us for and saving us from, he doesn't forgive us for it so we can stay in it. He wants to free us from it because life in the light is good. Life apart from sin and destruction is good. He saves us from that so we can live in the light. And then we can offer people something real. I'm tired of this mentality that we go for that just says the Christian life is boring and means you can't have fun. It's a lie. There's nothing more fun than having peace with God and enjoying loving relationships with people that are genuine and real and love me back. That's awesome. That's a, that's a party that lasts. That's satisfying. We talked about him being the bread of life last week. He's satisfying. The life he offers is good. Why do, why do we let people believe a lie that it's more fun living a life apart from Jesus? It's not. It's empty. It's dark. It's lonely. The people that really go for all the world that this world has to offer, they can't get no satisfaction. They can't. So we should be offering something real and alive that changes people's lives. And so this is a big deal to Jesus. When you tolerate darkness, you're offering people something that's dead in and of itself, and it can't produce anything of life and of value. I thought this was so interesting. I mean, there, there's so much I could say this morning. I'm not going to say a ton but I mean, we are just surrounded right now by the sexual harassment scandals that are just coming out of the woodwork in politics and Hollywood across the board. I want to be careful. 
one of the things that I think is sad is that many folks on any side of the aisle, politically or any belief system, will back a person for the sake of the ideology instead of holding individual people accountable for what they're doing. Are we, are we, is that clear? Okay. I don't care if a guy is a Republican, a Democrat, a Christian, an actor that I love. If they are harming people and living in darkness, that is wrong. Unequivocally, without question. Now, I'm not talking about putting people on trial for accusations that haven't been proven yet. Okay? I'm not going to get into individual cases and whether we know enough yet or not. I'm just saying it's wrong to tolerate that for the sake of, well, but at least at the end of the day, this promotes this cause I believe in, or this, this person is aligned with me politically. It's wrong. It's wrong. And I think it's sad that a Hollywood actor can, can call this out. Brian Cranston, the actor, he was interviewed recently about Kevin Spacey in particular and about the issue of sexual abuse in Hollywood in general. Listen to what he had to say. He said, there's a disorder among all those people who use their power, their place, or their status in any industry to overpower someone and force someone to do something that they don't want to do. It's beyond disgusting. It's almost animalistic. <coughs> Preach, Brian Cranston. You know what he's saying? He's summarizing Romans chapter 1. That a culture that adopts and accepts compromise, and then even the people who aren't compromising but just tolerate it and look the other way and act like it's no big deal, that culture will so devolve that they will get to animalistic behavior. That's Bible. Romans chapter 1. So what do we do in the midst of this? I mean, I realize it's getting heavy now, right? It was like we started with, hey, light's good and awesome and Jesus offers it. And Jake, this is really getting tough here at the end. Listen, first and foremost, I've got to invite Jesus to just shine some light into my life. God, I don't want to settle for a compromising life. I don't want to stumble around in my Christian walk in the dark. I'm tired of a life of stepping on Legos. It hurts. It's miserable. And I settle for that all too often. God, would you shine a light? I'm willing to step out of the dark into light. I'm willing to get real and honest and vulnerable with you. I'm willing to, be, willing to be a part of real, accountable relationships where we confess our sins one to another. He's faithful and just to forgive us. That's available. So let's deal with our own potential compromising. And then let's be beacons of light. Let's, let's do what he, what he wraps this up with. Verses 24, and we're going to eventually go through 29, but I'm just going to read 24 and 25 real quick. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, to the people that are holding on, the folks we talked about at the beginning, those loving and having faith and holding fast, but to the rest of you who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not, I do not lay on you any other burden. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. I don't lay on you any other burden. 
only hold fast what you have until I come. I know it's dark, but hold on. We have the light. We have the one who is the light and we can hold on to him. And so in verse 26, we're told to the one who holds on, to the one who holds on, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I give authority over the nations and he will rule them as with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. By the way, he's hearkening to Psalm chapter two where it talks about Jesus, the promised one. He's not by name yet, but it's looking ahead to the Messiah and he shows up and it's almost an exact quote. He will rule the nations with an iron rod. They will be broken in pieces like earthen pots. He's saying, I'm gonna give you that kind of overcoming victory. He writes this to the tiny little church of Thyatira that feels insignificant. And he says, if you hold on, you'll be kings and queens. You'll be victorious. And what's the final thing he says, verse 28? And I will give him the morning star. That's Jesus. He will give himself to us. He will give us light and clarity. He will give us the warmth that comes from him, the life that is available only in the true light. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In conclusion this morning, I'm going to, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to read a verse as our prayer this morning. Many of you are probably familiar with Psalm 119, 105, maybe not by the numbers, but the passage is that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. Y'all familiar with that? Just a few verses down from there in Psalm 119, verse 129, uh, the psalmist begins to unpack that a little bit more. And so I would encourage you Make this the prayer of your heart if you so choose this morning. I'm about to pray it as the prayer of my heart. So let's pray together. You can keep your eyes open if you want to see the words on the screen. You, you know, you're allowed to pray with your eyes open. Yes. <laughs> That's actually okay. All right. So this is, this is my prayer. This is, I believe, our prayer. God, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Thank you, God. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. God, turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. God, would you keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. God, redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. God, would you make your face to shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Lord, I just simply pray that your word would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, the light of the world. Amen. 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 Amen.